0: What up world? It's your pass-first point guard and Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode, I want to talk about Blazers chemistry. It's a thing we talk about all the time, the sort of team culture that's been created here. And I think we... we we being me here speak about it like amorphously like the team has a good chemistry and good culture and therefore these types of things happen but I think during free agency we saw three little vignettes that kind of show how this team's culture permeates a lot of what it does in different areas and, and not just the players and, and coaching staff but through the front office the whole organization wide sort of approach that allows the Blazers maybe to maybe allows them is the wrong word, but the approach that they have taken that defines how the organization does business and defines how they approach the day-to-day, big picture and small picture things. So what I want to talk about is a text message, a pre-existing agreement, and a personalized pitch. Those three vignettes will give us insight into the Blazers culture, which I think has been revealed even further. The, The... We've been given a perhaps unintentional peek inside what makes a good organization in the NBA. The overarching point here is that the Blazers have created this sort of player friendly, positive culture that is going to help them. And you can win in the NBA with bad vibes, but doing things the right way, particularly for a team that doesn't have advantages and sort of climate and uh, city appeal, is the way that you skip steps. It's the way that you jump ahead. I'm not saying the Blazers are unique in this approach, but we have seen specifics of the Blazers approach which I think give us all a closer look into how the organization operates. We're going to do things in three parts with these three little vignettes kind of going over how the Blazers culture has played itself out in a, in a public way over the, over the course of the offseason through the draft and free agency. So let's start with the text message. When the Blazers traded for Ennis Cantor, part of what eventually became a three-team deal with the Memphis Grizzlies, Cantor said he got a text message right away from Damian Lillard. And to quote Ennis Cantor, it said, Hey, this year we doing this. we going out there, win the championship. I don't know that it is particularly notable that Damian Lillard has his eyes on a championship or that Damian Lillard believes the Blazers roster as currently constructed or as as it exists with him on it can win the championship and their goal is to win one. That isn't a surprise. That is how he is wired. What the point here is that before The deal had even been totally finalized, but as it was being agreed upon by all parties, and Dame was privy to this information, he was the person who reached out to Ennis Cantor. Who welcomed the guy back. This is your star player welcoming back a backup center. This is your best player in franchise history welcoming back a guy who was on the team for four months and making his intentions clear right away, we're not going to mess around every star in the league has their hands in personnel decisions one way or another. Uh, I think there's varying degrees to what, what guys have a say. And and Dame has, has a very large say in, in how the personnel decisions get made within the Blazers organization. So he certainly was probably uh, consulted about bringing Cantor back. You know, he was famously at the, uh, at his family barbecue with Neil when, when Cantor turned down their free agent contract, uh, last summer so he was right there in sort of the front lines and we should bring him back the first time and now uh, when they're trading for him obviously Dame is plugged in and Dame is you know signed off on the move this is a guy I like let's let's get him back in here if possible and once the Blazers made it happen he was the one who reached out and like I said every star in the league has their hands in personnel decisions but I don't think every star in the league has their hands in the welcome wagon. It wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing on earth if Enes Kanter had to wait, you know, a week or whatever to hear from guys on the team or get back in the group chat or, or all those things. But to hear right away on day one before the deal is finalized from the team's franchise star, welcome back, here's the plan, we're aiming for championships, gives you a sense of what type of leader Dame is. Dame is... You know, the word inclusive is almost a joke right now when talking about his leadership. But there isn't certainly that element where he says, backup center, bringing you into the fold immediately, here's the goal. But he's also someone who is direct and straightforward in what he wants to get done. And if you are part of the plan, if you are part of uh, this this Blazers group, Dame's going to bring you in warmly and tell you where to set your sights. As Cancer said in his re-introductory press conference with the media, he said, it shows the kind of leader, teammate, and friend he is. Cantor went on to say that it's ama- the team is amazing. You don't have the same kind of energy on every team, but you have it here. You have this family vibe, this good vibe. Always positive vibes here. And I think that family vibe, the positive familial vibe of the Blazers is what I wanted to show you in this vignette. From the most important player on the franchise, he is right away... Br- bringing guys into the fold, bring them into the group and getting them on the same page. And he's doing it just you know, not in some sort of public way, like tagging them in a tweet, as you see sometimes, but sending him a text message behind the scenes. What's up? Let's do it. Let's go. This is sort of who Dame is. And it's why I think when you are competing for these second tier free agents, like uh, Ennis Cantor and Derek Jones Jr. and Robert Covington, there this is real appeal. Like this isn't, you know, Dame's magic and the Blazers and just like the situation of the roster's financial situation and the city and all those things, they're not going to lure stars. But Dame has a special appeal to to lure role players, to want role players to be involved in this plan. And if you, as he continues to be one of the elite players in the league, complementing the rest of the roster with really high level role players is the Blazers sort of probably ticket to reaching their ceiling. And Damian Lord's, sort of just natural humanness that makes him be so warm and welcoming to the new guys or the reintroduction to a guy who was briefly around with the roster is the key to his success. It is, he is authentically corny. I've said it in the past, texting a new coworker, let's go win a championship is pretty corny in sort of the um, sports cliches world, But, but Dame is authentic. He's himself and people appreciate it. I want to keep talking about the Blazers' vibes, the Blazers' culture. I think this is example number one of what we've seen in the last week or 10 days or so of, of the Blazers just doing things the right way, treating people like people. And we talk about their culture. This is where the culture starts, the culture setter, Damian Lillard. But it permeates beyond just their star point guard. And that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. The Blazers made good on a pre-existing agreement. And it shows you that they treat guys the right way. It's not just sending them nice text messages and welcoming them back into the fold. It's also doing right by people who have done right by you. So that's what we'll talk about in the second segment, an agreement the Blazers made good on that shows you how they do business and how the sort of familial culture extends beyond the basketball court and beyond the text message from a franchise point guard. But before we talk about that agreement, I want to tell you all about Bilt Bar. You know Bilt Bar, it's the best tasting protein bar ever. That's it. That's the trick. They just have delicious protein bars. Look, I have sampled many, 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 many protein bars in my time looking for a healthy snack that can fuel me in the middle of the day or fuel me on a beginning of a workout. Many of those items are chalky and dry and gross. Then I got sent a box of Built Bars and I said, yo, this is what protein bars should taste like. I'm not messing with the other guys anymore. I'm team Bilt Bar now. I'm in. They got 18 amazing flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew. They got that candy bar-like texture. And if the deliciousness doesn't sell you, what if I told you that they're darn healthy too? Low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. The fuel you need that tastes darn good. So get your hands on some of these bars. Go to BuiltBar.com, enter the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. All right. If you're listening to this show on Sunday or Monday morning, we got Mailbag Monday coming up. Just tweet at me at MikeGRich or email the show lockedonblazerspod@gmail.com at gmail.com to get in on our weekly mailbag episode. That's what's next. But today, right now, we're talking Blazers chemistry, giving you three vignettes that show sort of how the Blazers organizational culture benefits them and also manifests itself in the real world like real life tangible examples as opposed to these sort of amorphous things like well they got a good vibe. You know, I did use the word vibe in that first segment but it is more than just a good vibe, a familial vibe. It's actions. Whoops, I think I stumbled into a Batman quote. It's not who we are underneath but what we do that defines us. Um whoops. Shout out to all my Batman Christian Bale trilogy lovers out there. Where were we? Ah yes, we were talking about Blazers' chemistry. In the first segment, I shared with you the Damian Lord's text message to Annis Cantor the day Cantor got traded. A uh, uh, little scene that shows you how Damien Lord sort of conducts himself behind the scenes and what his brand of leadership looks like. But the Blazers have the Blazers' like culture is more holistic than how Damien Lord acts. He certainly sets the tone, which is why I wanted to lead with him in this episode. But how they do things permeates well beyond just their point guard, extends well beyond just their point guard. So the scene I want to bring you now is the Blazers doing right by Rodney Hood. Let us rewind a little bit to get there. In July of 2019, the Blazers were in a salary crunch and they didn't have a lot of options to sign Bring their players back. In fact, Ennis Cantor basically left because he didn't feel like he was going to get the money he wanted or the role or the years or all the things. It, was, it wasn't an ideal situation for landing free agents. But Rodney Hood had found happiness in, in Portland. He was miserable in Cleveland. Uh, he said it multiple times and that he just, he didn't, he had kind of lost his, his love for the game a little bit playing in Cleveland because it just didn't work out. But when he got traded to the Blazers at midseason, he it kind of it rekindled his love for the sport, and then he had a bunch of success in the playoffs, and that always helps. His wife enjoyed it here; uh, they wanted to raise their kids here, or or at least have some stability to raise their kids in in one spot and not have to move around. So he turned down or or didn't accept. Other offers for longer term and more money than what he had in Portland. This is what he says. He says he turned down these offers. I don't think we have reporting outside of Rodney Hood, but there's no reason not to trust him. He turns down extra years. He turns down extra money to sign a one plus one deal with the Blazers. They give him every single cent they possibly can at the time. Every bit of their money that they're legally allowed to under the uh, the CBA. But it's not that much money. It's you know five and a half million dollars heading into with a player option for six million dollars the second year. Now, I'm not sure how much more money Rodney Hood turned down, but he took a discount to come back here. And then he comes out of the gates back in the city he wanted to be in as a starter, gets a you know, gets a real role. Even if he took a little bit of a discount in, in on payday, he's getting a real role. He's he's gonna be a big part of the plan every single night. And then he suffers the most debilitating injury that a basketball player can suffer uh, toward his Achilles in early December. And the idea was at the time, the notion was at the time, that Rodney Hood would pick up his player option. He's not making any more money on the open market after an Achilles tear. You know, he's already, you know, there's questions about his overall consistency. So he's just going to pick up his, pick up that option and keep moving. But he fast forward ahead and the season, the timeline of the season was a little bit different. And so as opposed to maybe being 50-50, whether he'd be ready early in the season, uh, he's going to be ready on opening night because things have been pushed back a bunch by the current state of the world. And that meant free agency was pushed back a little bit, too. But the Blazers made good on what I believe was a pre-existing agreement. In April, when Rodney Hood spoke to media members this past April, he was already hurt. He was already you know, in the midst of a a long rehab from an Achilles injury. And he said, I plan to be back in a Portland Trailblazers uniform. Last year, the plan was for me to opt out and then sign a multi-year deal and come back. And that's what I plan on doing. He was straightforward about what his plan was. And yet the Achilles injury and the uncertainty was going to always lead to complications in that plan, except that it didn't. It didn't complicate anything. The Blazers did exactly what I believe they had agreed to do the previous offseason. When the Blazers, when Rodney Hood took a discount to join the Blazers, I believe that this was always the handshake deal. You sign for $5 million and then opt out. We will re-sign you a multi-year deal starting at your absolute maximum raise, which is about 175%, about $10 million a year. If the plan was always to do that when he initially signed and the plan was he was still saying that post-Achilles injury, I believe that the Blazers and Rodney Hood's representation had this deal worked out. And the Blazers, because they do things the right way, made good on that agreement. They gave Rodney Hood his full raise coming off his his Achilles. They gave him the multi-year deal that he wanted. They gave him a chance to be here and make more money the way that they couldn't the previous offseason due to the restrictions of the collective bargaining agreement they did right by their guy this is someone who chose portland and chose a discount likely with the understanding that it was just a one-year discount and this was the parameters of year two and three and so on if 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 things work out but it wasn't if things work out. Things went about as badly as they possibly could for Rodney Hood, and the franchise still did right by him. This is not a Damian Lillard makes people feel at home thing. This is not a an on-court thing or even a thing that players can have a control over. This is, this is a decision by the front office and by ownership to do right by someone who did right by them. Hood sacrificed a little bit for the team. The Blazers were able to do. We were able to give him the money that they had already previously promised him. At least that's my understanding. I tried to get some confirmation via text message before I recorded this, but nobody responded. But it is my earnest belief, and I, I'm 95% sure I'm correct about this. This was a pre-agreement, pre-existing agreement, and the Blazers decided to uphold that agreement. Obviously, they were able to do that without sacrificing any other flexibility. So this was just like, we can give Rodney Hood this money and it doesn't impact what we do. Should we do the right thing? Yes. This is the Blazers, like I said in, in, about Ennis Kanter signing and, and constructing this roster. You do right by role players. You add solid role guys. This is how you build this roster going forward. It's hard to land a star for their situation. Their best chance forward is to add depth and maximize role players that fit. Rodney Hood seemed to fit here. He genuinely enjoyed it, and the Blazers organization treated him the right way. This is this is the culture extending beyond the court. This is the this is the way they do things. And what I want to talk about in the third segment is another example of the way the Blazers do things. How this organization just has They maintain the positive vibes by treating people right. We talk about Portland chemistry. Well, the chemistry is a thing that exists because you do things the right way. So let's close out the show in the third segment talking about another example, a final vignette of the Blazers doing things the right way. Still a pass-first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked On Blazers. And if you're listening to this show, might as well check out Locked on NBA. On Monday's show, Josh Lloyd, host of the wildly popular Locked on Fantasy Basketball podcast, takes you around the NBA's major headlines with the help of local experts. That's Locked on hosts like me. Subscribe to the Locked on NBA podcast today wherever you already get podcasts. All right. So we talked about the text message. We talked about the pre-existing agreement. To close out the show, I want to tell y'all about the personalized pitch. The Blazers signed Derek Jones Jr. to a two-year, nineteen million-dollar contract, but Hood had other suitors. And the way the Blazers finalized this deal gives you a, a one final look for today into sort of how this organization gets gets humans right. How they do right by people, by treating them not like assets. Um, Neil will still say asset accumulation but you treat you you treat players like humans. You pay them like assets. And that's what the Derek Jones Jr. story does. Jonathan Abrams, writing in the New York Times, wrote a really interesting feature kind of uh, into a look into Derek Jones Jr.'s first sort of big money free agency and what that looks like Um, it's it's about nerves and contemplation and 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 all the decisions you have to make but it's also the details and how teams pitch free agents the story is is really interesting I encourage you to read it but there's some pertinent details for sort of how the Blazers conduct themselves that I think are really telling in sort of this our look today in what how the Blazers culture plays itself out in um, in the way they do things like the tangible tangible things where Blazer the Blazers way and I'm doing big air quotes there actually exists in this livable space and doesn't just exist as hey the vibes are good. These are the vibes are good because of tangible things and I, I, I'm i hoping that Damian Lloyd's text message and uh, making good on Rodney Hood's pre-existing agreement are are tangible ways that those that this chemistry plays itself out and I think this Derek Jones Jr vignette also offers that same thing. So Jones on as at the entry free agency he's on the phone um with first with the Sacramento Kings and he's getting his pitch and he's he hears from them and yeah okay he listens quietly um it's, it, was, it lasted eight minutes long. They're all video conferencing calls. And, and it, this is about 30 minutes into free agency, 6.28 p.m., as Abram writes. He gets his video call, less than 10 minutes. Um, cool. That's step one. Let's move on to the next one. The next one is with the Portland Trailblazers. And the call lasted way longer than 10 minutes, nearly an hour. And Jones was, according to Abrams, way more direct in this one, as opposed to sort of the listening and nodding, thank you for your pitch. This was him selling himself. He says, and I'm quoting from the New York Times here, if I was to come there, I believe me and Robert Covington could help the team a whole lot. Jones said, adding that he hoped to be named Defensive Player of the Year in the future. On defense, I'm going to be guarding the best players. That's what I want. But Jones didn't commit right away. He... Ordered some dinner and heard his final pitch. This one for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and this was a positive meeting. Um, they they did a lot of things that Derek Jones Jr. liked. He says it all sounds good, is what Jones um, tells his agent in in this story. But he didn't know if the role fit him perfectly in um, with with Minnesota, and he also knew a couple things about the Blazers. The first is that they have a pretty healthy track record of developing young wings. Think Nick Batum, Wesley Matthews, Alfredo Camino, Moe Harkless. All those people who have gone on to sign big old contracts after they've left the Blazers. But the thing that I want to talk about, the thing that strikes me the most as the most sort of authentically Blazers having good chemistry, good organizational um, approach is this. The Trailblazers inquired about Derek Jones Jr.'s sons and detailed the area's community and educational system, aspects that caught Jones' attention. And they also talked with Jones' personal trainer who was in on the call, Anthony Wells, and said, Here's how your work can fit with what we do as as an organization. And this is the crux of Blazers' culture, right? They're pitching against two low-level teams. The Kings can probably offer Jones more of a a little bit larger of a role, but they're not very good, right? He'd be on a developmental team. The T-Wolves probably a similar role to the Blazers, but he's behind uh, a couple people in line. The Blazers, again, there's there's not a guaranteed starting spot, although it does sound like Derek Jones Jr. is going to start after all this, but their pitch was more like, hey, all things being equal, we want to offer you about the same amount of money that everyone else does. We're a more competitive team. But also, you're going to live here and move here and be a human. So that means that your kids need to go to school. And the, the people in your circle, like your personal trainer who's going to be part of your, your MBA journey, can be part of the process here. And we've already considered how it works. This is how you'll fit in the community, this is how your life will be, and this is how the people who are part of your life will still exist in it when you join the franchise. This is treating people like humans and paying them like assets. There is something incredibly important and on-brand about the Blazers having done research about what a how a guy would fit into their community. And it starts with because I think their best player, Damian Lode, is so ingrained in sort of the whole Portland and Oregon scene that other guys being involved is a natural fit. Now, no one's being forced to send their kids to Portland Public Schools or anything like that or um, or even relocate their families out here. But if you do choose to make this your permanent home, the Blazers organization wants to make sure that you can do it and part of their pitch to a free agent, one of their big free agents they signed this year. In fact, they're only big money outside free agent signing, uh, if you, you know, consider that Carmelo Anthony was already on the team and so was Rodney Hood. But regardless, this shows that sort of the, the positive vibes, the good culture, the good juju approach isn't just Dame sending text messages and it isn't someone who's already involved in the organization who's done right by you so you want to do right by them with Rodney Hood. This is you're going to be part of the fabric of the team and this is how we treat people we talk so much about blazer's culture and doing things and I think what we sort of envision or what kind of what I envision when I say it is like guys want to work hard because dame works hard so when you come when they open the doors to the media after practice you know 85 percent of the team is still in there working on their game and and, and going through skill work and things like that you know that you think of good culture as as setting a work ethic and setting a focus and setting you know being being polite to to uh, arena staff members and and support staff and all those things. You think of good culture as just like treating people the right way, and and you think of it from this basketball perspective. But it's much larger than that. It's how the Blazers, maybe it's how they have to do things because of their situation, but it's how they've chosen to do things. And when you think of organizational culture even at sort of at whatever job you have doing the small things the right way behind the scenes things that you won't get rewarded for like knowing about someone's kids and what they might need isn't a way that you sort of like maximize your chance to win a championship but it is a way that you treat employees the right way and paying a guy more money because you can and because there's because it's the right thing to do is just a is just a good way of doing things. It's a good way of treating people right. And when you add new employees and the most important employees, you know, Damien Lord, essentially the CEO, I guess is the equivalent of it. When the CEO reaches out to new employees and says, welcome to the fold, all of these little things matter. And I hope these vignettes portrayed for you this sort of all-encompassing, the holistic approach to doing things the right way and treating humans the right way as the, the way to have the most success in basketball. It doesn't always lead to success. The Blazers being nice to each other and having good vibes does not mean they're going to win a championship. But it makes them less likely to have things totally fall apart because players know that they are cared about um, financially. They know that they're cared about with what their sort of family emotional and non-basketball needs are when they're joining the team. And they know that the best player on the roster will incorporate them and and point them in the direction and, and make them part of the group immediately. The chemistry is larger than one person, and that's why it's chemistry. If it was just Dame is a good dude, it's Dame is a good dude. But this is a larger organizational-wide approach that while it might not be completely unique It is a defining characteristic of this particular franchise. And the last 10 days of free agency have shown us in these little details how that plays out in the real world. That's going to do it for today's show. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.